Hello, hello, hello. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no chance to get that meeting. This is the silent nightmare for marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. The most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about what that is. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get with Apollo? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5. If you go there right now, their team will set you up with a free account for you. And as a thank you for your time, check this out. You're going to get a free annual membership to Exit 5. That's valued at $275 just for checking them out. And the tool is free. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity. And if you are and you want to learn more, go to apollo.io slash e5. One, two, three, four. Exit five. All right, Amanda's here. This is your first week back at work, and I'm lucky enough to get you for about an hour for the Exit 5 podcast. So thank you. Congratulations. You're you're not a new mom because this is the second time around, but you have a four-month-old. You're back at work, and uh, you got a big smile. You look great. Everything, <laughs> everything, Everything's going good. I'm happy to have you back. And I emailed you last night just to make sure you still want to do this and hang out. And you sent me an awesome email, which is like, you're such a content wizard. I feel like you just seeded like 15 of your own like future pieces of content and what you wrote to me, but I'm happy to have you back and it's always good to chat with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you know what? Maybe selfishly, I'm just really excited to have a conversation with another adult. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. I know that feeling. And and uh, for me, when my kids, when my second kid, my son was born, it was like, COVID happened right after that. And so we spent a lot of time. <laughs> there was a good year and a half where it was just me and my wife and a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Like not a lot of adult conversations happening anywhere. Oh, man. I describe myself as an extroverted introvert in that my default state is introverted. I'm good being by myself, but I enjoy conversations with other people, speaking, presenting, stuff like that. I feel like since the last three, four years, though, that's flipped. And I'm like, I'm ready to have grown up. I'm ready to hang out, have adult friends again. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I think I'm pretty similar. I get very much into like, I don't know. I think part of it, too, is once I'm in introvert mode, it's kind of hard to break out. Yeah. But then once I do, I'm just happy to like have more interactions, talk to people, present, network, all that good stuff. So one thing that we had traded in the email that I think was interesting is so at Spark Toro, you are the sole marketer. You are the marketing intern and the CMO. You do the whole thing. What was that like leaving, going away and having a kid, which anybody who's gone through that process knows that it is the furthest thing from a time off <laughs> as possible. It is so much harder than work in so many ways. But I'm just curious to hear about that experience. Honestly, it was 
pretty stressful. I think especially because I went into labor about a week earlier than I was meant to. Right. So, so you, you write know, up all the plans. You got all the plans. Here's what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it just goes out the window. Yeah. Or like, here are the plans, but I still have to do these three more things. Sure. And then I can go. And then, of course, went to labor a little bit early and was like, oh, shoot. These three really important things that I should not have left until this week. <laughs> I should have gotten them done. So it was stressful in that sense of like, ah, I'm the only person on my team who's leaving. But on the other hand... I obviously work with very competent people, right? So I'm not worried about, oh, everything's going to go to shit. It's not that. It's more of like, I feel badly about leaving this extra burden on Rand and Casey. And then we also had hired Brendan Hufford of Growth Sprints to help fill in for me while I was out. And so then I was kind of worried about like, oh no, is Brendan set up for success? Does he just have all his crap dumped onto his plate? And he's like, thanks. <laughs> so that was stressful, but okay. Things work out. <laughs> I've heard that a lot of people who've been in a similar situation are not even remember feeling this. And I wasn't the one who gave birth and it's much harder on the mother. I remember a feeling of like, am I still going to be needed? Like when I come back, am I going to get lapped here? Did you have any of that feeling at all? You know, obviously that's not going to happen and not the case, but it feels like a pretty natural thing to like take yourself out when you're out for three months and you realize that the company goes on without you. Do you have any feelings of like, wait, are they going to need me when I come back? Totally normal feeling. I didn't have that this time around because we're such a lean team. But I definitely had that feeling the first time around when I was working at a, a bigger tech company and had a lot of time. And that was also when I had a team reporting to me. So I really had to make sure that everything was buttoned up and that I had a good plan going out. So that was a time too where I was, I was really nervous about essentially getting replaced. And then it kind of happened to some extent. I mean, when I when I got back from leave, I was laid off from my job a few months later. And it wasn't because of my parental leave, but I couldn't help but feel like, well, I created the infrastructure to not work with me. And so the team theoretically knew how to work without me. And so if they had to cut someone, it made sense that it was me even though that's a terrible thing to happen to any kind of any new parent coming back right. to work. <laughs> of course. There's lots of ways that that could have been flipped. And what about like um, your mentality heading back to work? I know that for me, after my first kid and my second, a lot changed in how I thought about my career and work life. And you just had your second child. Has that changed anything in your, in your mind? I mean, you're four months in. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on still. Has it changed your career goals, like how you think about work, your passion for marketing? A little bit, yeah. So a couple things have changed. And I'll be very curious about how you think about this too. So the first thing is like probably like 10 years ago, I was so set on being on the CMO track. I was like, I want to be a CMO of like a big team. I want to work at a big company. The stuff that we're all supposed to want. And I'm putting supposed to in air quotes. I mean, that's kind of the only way we know, right? The traditional path. And it wasn't until maybe just before I started working at Spark Toro three years ago that I started to really feel like, oh, I don't want to be on this track. I actually don't think I like that. <laughs> like I realized I don't actually like being a people manager. I'm not actually that interested 
in all facets of marketing. I think I'm interested in many facets of marketing, but there's a certain mastery of like performance marketing and demand generation that I don't love, frankly, and that I do think is really necessary to becoming an effective CMO. So that I had to be honest with myself about like, well, I don't really want to do those things. And maybe CMO is not for me. So I was kind of already in that feeling of like, I don't think I want to do this. And I also just realized like, I really like doing a lot of the the work, like rolling up my sleeves and being the one to write the blog posts or like write the newsletter. And that's not for everyone, right? Like I'm sure there are a lot of marketing leaders listening right now who'd be like, oh my God, the last thing I would ever want to do is write a blog post. I don't blame anyone, but I like it, right? Well, it's all different, right? Like a big part of the CMO and marketing leader job is people management. Mm -hmm. And so instead of writing a blog post, you are, I got a one-on-one in 30 minutes and I got to have a hard conversation with somebody on my team. And that person's not going to like what I have to say. And I got to deliver hard feedback and this is going to cause a ruffle in the team. And there's a lot more of that. And I think what happens to a lot of people is you get into marketing because you like the writing and you like the creating, you're good at it. It drives results for the company or wherever you're at. Obviously, when that happens, hey, more thing comes your way. Hey, Amanda, you're really good at that. Why don't you take on this? Sure, I'll take on that. Eventually, you're the hub and you're doing a lot of things. The natural progression is to then say like, yeah, why don't you lead this team? And I think in the short term, it's easy to be like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And let's say yes and like this thing. But one topic that I like to talk about on this podcast a lot is people who Look, we do podcasts where we talk to CMOs and I think it's very important to lay out like, here's what a great CMO does. Here's what that job looks like. But I really want to, through this podcast, also lay out the other side and show people that there's both career paths. So we'll have content about helping you become a CMO, but there's also like, hey, there's people like me, there's people like you, Amanda, there's many other people who are like, I kind of like the writing and creating part and I'm going to try to carve out a career in that world as opposed to just being a CMO. And I've always said, I think there should be like a quiz. You should be, you have to to take like an assessment, like, are you sure you want to be a people manager? And do you know what that entails? Yeah, there totally should. And like, I think a big problem too, is that every like employee, right? Like white collar worker, everyone's incentivized to become a people manager, regardless of how much they actually like it, or regardless of how good at it they are. That's kind of the only way to make more and more money. You don't know a lot of people who are individual contributors who are also well compensated. Like, I feel like that tends to be more so in technical roles. Like you might have like a senior software architect who does all the work, but there aren't a lot of like VPs of marketing who don't have any direct reports, right? That'd be weird. (laughs) Right. Yeah. For people that are listening that might not be super familiar, tell us what is SparkToro? Is the team going to be small forever? What the makeup of marketing looks like there? I think that's helpful context. I want to keep going on this topic a little bit with you. Oh yeah, for sure. So SparkToro is a B2B SaaS company We have an audience research tool that other marketers, entrepreneurs, whatever, can use to better understand their audience. So you can search for things like, well, we're also relaunching the product. So soon, everybody will be able to see the keywords that your audience is searching for. So like, if your audience is CMOs, you can see like, what are some popular keywords among CMOs or people who self-describe as CMOs? You can also see like the influential podcasts, social accounts, YouTube channels, subreddits among any given audience. Historically, we had been doing this largely through social network data, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and more. But with the relaunch product, we're also going to be leveraging search data and clickstream data. So you'll get more insights on the keyword stuff, 
on lookalike audiences based on who visits certain websites. So, yeah. Okay. And the team is three people. Yep. Three of us. You're VP of marketing. You own all that. The company, are you going to stay at three people? Like how does hiring and what does the hiring and growth plan look like? We don't really have one yet. I mean, a lot of it is like, it's just going to be the three of us for a while, but we do hire a lot of agencies and consultants to help us. So we've worked with Gia and Claire at Forget the Funnel. We've worked with Asia Arangio at Demand Maven, and most recently, Brendan Hufford at Growth Sprints. So we hire highly, highly competent senior people to work with us. And then as far as full-time employee goes, we don't know, right? Like I think... I think the next hire that we would make would probably be someone on the technical side to help share Casey's workload. Casey's our co-founder and CTO before we hire another marketing person. And how do you describe like the things you own as VP of marketing? I guess I would describe it as I definitely own all the top of funnel marketing and like organic marketing. Casey and I tag team on the metrics stuff because a lot of it is reliant on me asking him like, hey, can you pull this report? on this audience? Or like, can we see how many people have logged into SparkToro and like run at least two queries in the past month? So I, I lean on Casey for a lot of that. But day to day, you know, I manage our email marketing, social channels, mainly LinkedIn, because that's our largest kind of most engaged, most relevant audience, as well as our event program. Those are kind of my three main priorities. Event as defined by digital and physical events. So we do like a monthly office hours webinar. And this year, we're going to take our annual summit, Spark Together, to an in-person event. So we're really excited about that. Nice. I really want to do an event this year. Yeah. An in-person one or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In-person. The gravitational pull of it is quite strong. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just something when you get everybody together in person. I also think that just given the nature of like the Exit 5 business, it can be an awesome day to create content. And so if we had a bunch of interesting sessions all like I want all those videos I want all that stuff could be podcast content and we get so many one-off messages of like hey when are you going to do an event when are you going to do an event there's just something about being able to like high five someone in person yeah or whatever that I think is tough to replicate online we've been doing a bunch of webinars too and and those are good but there's something that's a little bit more intangible that comes from the in-person thing and I think that will give us a nice little boost this year I think so too. And I, I I mean, you have a really engaged community. So I really would imagine that they're pretty hungry to go to an, an in-person event. Yeah. Like that would crush, I bet. It would. I feel really good about, I feel really good about how it would be. It's more just like, ah, the, <laughs> I have a lot of scar tissue from doing like events in the past. And like, I don't want to self-inflict, like I have a nice <laughs> life right now. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to like cause a lot of self-inflicted pain, but I just hired a COO. He's awesome. We have the budget to like, we could bring on an agency to do a lot of the heavy lifting. And so I've, it's been like two years of this marinating and I'm like, dude, yeah. you should just do it. It's not going to be yeah. that bad. <laughs> I know, but it's like, I get it. It's also just, it's really expensive. Not that you can't afford it, but like, it's a lot of yeah. money to handle and it's like a lot of, money. A lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lot it's of work. a lot of money. And like, even though I think there's ways that we can do it, through sponsors. We have a lot of demand for sponsors for like digital and sponsors love events. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I have no doubt that we could find, you know, three to five sponsors who could basically 
help us make sure that it generates revenue, it still doesn't make it any less stressful because just the sticker, you know, even if you have the budget to do it, the sticker items of finding a designer and paying them 1200 bucks to do some design project is different than like, well, just to hold this space, it's $150,000. It's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that's a hard adjustment. And this sounds, <laughs> and that I've only worked at companies that have raised VC money and have had big budgets and grown really fast. And so it shouldn't be this way, but it is. It's like, yeah, that was someone's money at that point. That money mattered for sure, but it is much different when like it is physically my bank account and the money is coming right from there and we're writing a check to someone. It's just, ah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. But since it's, since everything is done at scale, like even seemingly small things are so expensive. Like you'd think right. like, oh, we're just going to order a bunch of like water bottles. And before you know it, it's going to be $20,000. And you're like, oh, uh, shoot. Why do you say that? <laughs> I use, Right. Like we want to buy lunch. Like let's say we, we do a small, relatively small event. Let's say a hundred people, right? We buy lunch for everybody. That's $10. You can't get lunch for $10. It's got to be 20, maybe 30, probably 30 bucks. That's 30 grand just to feed people so they don't complain about it. (laughs) So anyway, I think there's something to an event. I need to just put this on tape. So when Dan listens back later, he'll be like, okay, we're going to do an event. (laughs) Um, I was actually going to ask you not to transition. I think we kind of made the point on the CMO piece. And I think one thing that you said in in your note to me about this, which is, I think is really important. is like a big part of the CMO thing is chasing status. We all chase status in some way, but maybe now there are different ways to look at status. In the old world, status equals title and money. Maybe now status equals time spent how you want it. Do you feel like being the sole marketer gives you a little bit more control of your schedule in that you got a list of things you have to do, whether it's write that email, write that article, create that campaign, you can do that whenever versus like if you're a CMO and you're a people manager and it's like Nancy on your team wants to have a meeting and needs to talk to you about something like you got to be there for her. And that's, you can be a little bit more control. Am I right in making that assumption? Yeah, totally. And that's like the biggest thing for me. That's what I've really realized over the past couple of years. And this is especially with having kids. It's how do I like make this like full point? So, I mean, I'm thinking about like, Because I have kids, the time that I spend with my kids is limited, but the time spent with myself is also limited. Since I work from home and everything, I think about things like, how do I want to spend my whole day? Whether it's work, family life, personal time. So, I mean- And those hours fill up really quickly. (laughs) They fill up so fast, right? They really do. Especially when you factor in like morning drop-off and afternoon pickup. And then you got to make dinner and put the kids to bed. The time goes quick. And for me, at least, it was, I've asked myself, how much of that limited time do I want to spend in meetings? Not a lot. No, absolutely not. Yeah. And I like to have a couple of meeting-free days each week. It used to be I would hope for one meeting-free day, but now I'm like, maybe I could have like two where I just like do my work, do some writing stuff, jam out some projects and call it a day. And I feel like this is probably just like me in my bubble of a lot of the people that I talk to now are like other entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, consultants online, where they mostly get to spend their time how they want it, where I feel like that seems more desirable to me. So as we talk about what status looks like now, you know, right, where before, right, 10 years ago, me was like, CMO, that's an important job, important, powerful, you make a lot of money. Like, I want that job. But more recently, I've thought, you know, if I wanted to be a CMO, yeah, I probably would make more money. But at what cost? 
Because at some point, you got to ask yourself, what are you going to do with that money? Granted, if it's the change from making a couple hundred thousand per year to making millions, that's different, right? That's a big jump. But in general, it's like if you're already making a pretty good amount of money where you have a pretty comfortable life and it comes down to making what you make and making like 15, 20 grand more per year. I know this is very first world problem of me to say. I know, but it's true. If you're comfortable enough and you think about like making 15, 20K more, you quickly realize that after taxes, that doesn't really change your life that much. Hey, so I created Exit 5 to help you build a successful career in B2B marketing. First, it started off as my private podcast on Patreon. And many of you who listen to this today probably are OGs and remember that. I was talking about my lessons and learnings going from PR intern to CMO. Then it morphed into a Facebook group and quickly became one of the top resources for marketers in B2B SaaS. Today, this is a full-blown company. We have three full-time employees and ambitions to grow the team and keep building and hire more people this year. And we're investing in everything that's working, which right now is everything. It's amazing. We're making a big update to our community. We're doubling down on this podcast to serve the 5,000 people that listen every week. We're investing in our newsletter and written content to help the 16,000 people that get our emails. We're even hosting our first in-person event in September. We're building Exit 5 to help you grow your career in B2B marketing because really there's no school for B2B marketing. You can't get a degree in how to build pipeline and there isn't a playbook for how to get promoted in your career. And that's why I'm telling you right now to go and join the Exit 5 community. Go to Exit 5 com. You can click join right there. There's a free seven day trial. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you are one of those 5,000 people that listen to this podcast every single week and you have not joined our community yet, go and do that. At least go and check out the seven day free trial. You'll sign up, you'll put your credit card in, but we don't bill you until seven days. It's a seven day free trial. And this is, this is really Dave. We really do all of this. I want to build a company that is customer friendly. And that means that if you sign up, and two weeks into this thing, you realize it's not for you, you can email us and cancel. But I want you to go check it out. It's a seven-day free trial. Go to exit5.com. You can get in our community and you'll see why it's so much more than just a discussion forum. Exit 5 is a B2B marketing resource that's there for you when you need it the most. When your boss comes to you and says, hey, we need you to come up with an ABM strategy for this year and you've never done that before. You go to Exit 5 and you ask that question or you go and search the hundreds of posts before you. When you want to look for a new job but you're not ready to post about it on LinkedIn yet, you can quietly browse for open roles and see who's hiring inside of Exit 5. Or maybe you need to build a peer group of other people in your job function, but LinkedIn is too broad to dig through. You can find out who else works in product marketing in your niche or who else who else is a director in the $1 million to $10 million company range. You can do that inside of Exit 5. Maybe you want freelance, maybe you like you need to make a video in a pinch and you need recommendations for a freelance videographer that can work on your next product launch video and they're located in the US and within your range of budget. That is why we built Exit 5 and that's what you can go in there and do. So go and check it out, exit5.com, start a free trial and we'll see you inside of the community. Like that allows you to go on maybe like one more nice vacation in the whole year with a family, right? So like, that's when I really think about like, well, what am I going to do with this extra money? Is it going to give me anything that I don't have right now? Like, is it really, truly going to change my life? That's when I just kind of go back to, I'd rather just get to choose how I spend my time than make an extra 20K or even an extra 30K today. I'd rather just keep my existing schedule where I work like 30 hours a week. I have like two meeting free days and I still have time to do my personal creating stuff, right? I still get time to hang out with my kids. 
cook meals now and then and like enjoy my time. I'd rather have that. Yeah, it's really um, wise of you to walk through this path. Also, I would argue that most people are who listen to this are all in the first world problem bucket. Like this is a <laughs> people who work in B2B SaaS. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, how but- do you think about it? I mean, you actually have done the real CMO thing. Like, mm-hmm. do you ever think about like, do you think you would go back to being a CMO? Like maybe at a bigger tech company or something? Uh, ab- no, that would be like, <laughs> no, my absolutely not. Well, I would not. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I just mean I've built a business now where I don't have to go do that. And I would do that if everything, if all of the my current Exit 5 business, if it went to zero and I was looking for work, that would be one path that I would consider. And I could go to LinkedIn and I could say, hey, I'm available to be hired as a CMO and maybe there'll be some inbound. Now, the further I and I don't know, who knows, hopefully that won't ever happen. But the further I get away from being a CMO, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, maybe the less appealing I would be to get hired in that role. And so I run, there's a risk there. But I think that's a fallback path for me. I also just kind of feel like, and from what I know about you, you're similar in this sense is like, I feel like I'm always going to find my way to create something. And whether that's start my own business, start a podcast, start a blog, buy a small business, build a small business. I don't know. I have no idea. I just feel like that's more my DNA of like creating and I'm going to find a way to like create income through that path anyway. Also on the CMO thing now, and this is not going to be the case for everybody, but like I make more money from Exit 5 than I did as a CMO. Kind of. I worked at two companies where there were acquisitions and so I made some money through those acquisitions and that was significant. However, to your point earlier, like the only way you're going to make those millions in the CMO role is four, five, six years at a company having equity. So you're going to have to put in, it's not going to happen overnight. And so from a straight up salary standpoint, like I think you can make more than your CMO salary on your own. You might have, you know, if you have half a percent in a billion dollar company, obviously that's going to be a a bigger lottery ticket. But now I can make more money than I made as a CMO. Plus I'm building an asset. I own a business. I'm hiring people. Like instead of owning a tiny equity stake in somebody else's company, I now own 100% of my own business. And that's how I'm thinking about it, at least today. Yeah, I mean, that obviously makes sense. So what was that transition like for you in going from traditional CMO to going full-time solo creator? And then that transition from solo creator to now hiring people again. Like, what was that like? It was, it's tough because, so what happened to me was I had been building, you know, unintentionally audience building, and we should talk about this topic at some point, but started to build a following online. I was at a company that was growing really fast and the company got a lot of attention and I was the one who was leading the marketing efforts at that company. And so like by osmosis, you kind of like your brand kind of grows with that. And so I launched my first paid channel while I was still a CMO. So like when I decided to go and do that full time, I already had a pretty strong stream. I started initially started this thing on Patreon and I had a couple thousand paying members. So I had a couple thousand members paying $10 a month at the time on Patreon. And so I was making between 10 and 20 grand a month through paid content while it was still a CMO. And so when it came time to like decide that I wanted to do that, there wasn't a worry about like, well, where is income going to come from, right? And most people that I talk to are like, hey, I want to leave my job. I want to become a solo creator. I want to 
do consulting or whatever, but like, I don't know, like I don't have any clients lined up. It's kind of risky three to six months. So I'm very, very fortunate that I didn't have to go down that path. In addition to starting that, I'm sure you get this. I'm sure other people listening get this. Like I would get inbound messages all the time, maybe not hundreds, but like a couple messages a month from some company being like, hey, do you do any consulting? And I started to realize like, huh, there is life beyond the company that I'm working at and people want me. They want my experience. They want my advice. They want my knowledge. And I started to get enough of them where I'm like, wait a second. I didn't say yes to any of them at the time, but I started to see them all where I was like, huh, there's something here where like I'm getting asked to do a lot of these pick your brain things or like, hey, can we meet with you for an hour? I read this amazing book called Million Dollar Consulting by this guy, Alan Weiss, which gives you basically a framework to like justify. And I think this is a hard thing that people have a hard time getting over. How do you justify charging for your time? But he's like, look, if you're a knowledge worker and you've built up knowledge in this industry, like that is your product. And so I started charging for my time and people said yes. And so I started to realize like, wow, I have another income stream here too, which is like people can trade money for my 10 years in this industry and knowledge. And I was able to start doing a little bit of consulting at the same time. And so when it came time to go fully on work for myself, I had a little bit of consulting. I had some of this content business bubbling. And so it was like, let's just go all full in on this. The first year that I worked for myself, I did both. I did consulting and I did content. And a year ago, I lost all my consulting clients. The economy, I was thriving in the tech bubble of you know 2020 to 2022. Like There was just consulting coming out the ears. <laughs> there was a lot of demand for that type of stuff and people had budgets and whatever. That all went to zero. And so last year, well, this was probably two years ago now, I had this decision of like, well, what should I do? And I decided to say no to all consulting and I said, I'm going to go all in on this content business. I see a lot of similarities between other businesses that whether it's HubSpot acquiring the hustle, sales hacker selling to outreach, even things like in the past, like Content Marketing Institute. I saw a lot of those threads. I was like, I'm going to go all in on this business. I'm going to rebrand it so it's not the Dave show. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to talk about marketing for the rest of my life. I'm going to shift into like running a company that is a media company. And so I rebranded from DGMG to Exit 5. And now I'm hiring people and bringing on a team. And I had to do all those things to get away from like this being the Dave show. I see, I was very like talking about this narrative of solopreneurship. And I see lots of people talking about that. The hard part about that is like, it can be a great way to make a bunch of money, but you're stuck on that. I would be stuck on that like hamster wheel forever, right? If I needed to like dance monkey, like have a take about B2B marketing to get new clients, to sell a course, to do whatever. I started to see the seeds of like, oh no, you have a very interesting business if you go all in on this like exit five thing and create a media company. And that was my realization. And that's kind of what I've been focused on for the last year or so. I'm very hard headed. I'm seeing this in my daughter now who's six. I need to do things when I'm ready. <laughs> Meaning like if we want to get her to ride her bike, take her training, she no, I'm not riding my bike. I'm not. One day, if we can't force her to do it, out of nowhere, she's like, dad, today's the day. I'm okay, let's go ride that. And that's exactly me. I, I've known for a year that I should be hiring people and I should invest in this business. And I don't have to have hot B2B marketing takes anymore. I can shift into be more of the CEO and build this media company. It just took me like waking up three months ago to being like, wait a second, I already know who I should hire. I should just hire this person. And I called Dan Murphy, who I used to work with. I hired him twice at my last two companies or worked with him, hired him the second time. I just didn't believe that he would come here and do this. And so 
he said, yeah, man, you have an amazing business. I'd love to work with you. And that's kind of changed my life in the last 60 days. And now it's given me like this new energy. And to what we talked about earlier with time and, and everything, hiring him has been like the obstacle. The obstacle is the way. Bringing on a partner and a COO has allowed me to like spend more time. I can hang out and talk to you and do this podcast now. So yeah, this is turning into a, a narrative, but there's just a lot in there that I thought you could appreciate and I wanted to put out. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's also cool is like you got to enjoy the solopreneur life, having no one to answer to or like worry about, right? But now you've basically kind of hired your friends. And I mean that in a great way. Yeah. Your friends who you know can do the job well. Yeah. And who you like working with. Who? That's yeah. why I put off hiring for so long because like I had a completely free schedule in that like I could just do things when I wanted on my terms. And I was like, ah, I've been working this way for a while. I have a way of doing things. I like to move really fast. I'm very direct in like feedback. I had such a clear vision for like what I needed to do for this business. I didn't want to go the more like junior route and hire someone much more junior where like I would have to train them. I'd have to coach them. Not that I don't think that's valuable and I could help somebody grow in their career, but like I've already done that. I've already managed a team. I don't want to do that anymore. And so I was just like, you know what? It's easier for me if I just do it myself. Then when I find out that somebody's available that like I know and like and trust and they know my working style and if I tell them like, hey, that thing that you did is not good, let's do it again. They're not gonna like go off in a huff and not talk to me for three days and we don't have to have all these one-on-ones and meetings. It just brought a lot of comfort and I was like, yes, this makes a ton of sense and he is really good at the operating stuff and managing people and hiring and running systems and so it's allowed me to basically have best of both worlds. Now we can go hire people, we can invest, we can hire agencies, we can hire people, we can do other, everything, but it doesn't have to all be because I wanted to do it. Now that really resonates. I mean, you've basically hired a peer, someone like you don't have to talk to Dan every day or check in and be like, hey, like, what's the status, <laughs> right? I'm sure you probably even go days without speaking just because you're both we doing do. your own thing. Yeah. I can message him and say that, hey, I hate this. <laughs> and I think that's so important. It's just like a relationship, right? Like whoever your partner is, yeah. you need to be able to like be direct and life is short and you need to be able to just make decisions and move fast and not get so offended about everything. And I think a lot of this is why the three of us at Spark Toro work so well together in that like, you know, we'll talk a lot about how like we don't have a meeting culture. We all kind of do our own thing. I definitely go days without talking to Rand or Casey. They go days without talking to each other. Sure. Now, I think it's a unique kind of relationship, right? Where, you know, you think about like, they hired me as the only marketer, but I wasn't coming in at like marketing coordinator or marketing manager level, right? Like I didn't yeah. need to join and be taught what email is, right? It was more of like, hey, here's MailChimp. Here are the two quirks that you should know, but you got the rest, right? Like that was a lot of it. And it works really well for us because we're each really independent in what we can do. And we each have our own pretty senior skill set. Yeah, it's only three of us, but we probably have the same output as like a team of 12 or 15. I love that. That's exactly how I feel. And I haven't yeah. been able to articulate that. We can move fast. You remove a lot of the BS in between. You don't have to have lots of meetings, right? Mm -hmm. I bet you don't talk to them for days, but I bet you that they're also not wondering like, what's Amanda doing right now? And we're paying her all this money and I don't even know what she's done. Like, you can't have that. That will be toxic and that will never work out, mm -hmm. right? And so what's work for you? Like, do you share what you're working on? Like, how do you build that trust? Because you didn't know these people coming in, right? Yeah. And so 
How do you build that trust to like not have somebody on your ass asking you where you're at, what you're doing? Are you really good at internal communication? What's your trick? I think the big thing has been having a couple of programs that I own fully. The two examples of that would be our monthly-ish office hours webinar and our email newsletter, which goes out about twice a month. So I call that out because those are some deliverables that they know I'm always kind of always working on. So Mm. they're probably not thinking every week, like, when's that newsletter coming out? But they kind of see it come down the pike. They might see like that I've started a draft in MailChimp, things like that. So they know that it's happening. The other thing is we do have like strategic meetings probably a couple times per year. And these are the things that's like, here's what we have to work on for the next six months. So these are like big picture things. One example would be like the Spark Together event. We started to work on that as a in-person event. So we know that's happening. So I think it's more that at a very high level, we all know what the other's doing. They all know what I'm doing. They probably won't know what I'm doing on a Wednesday morning, but they know like in general, in Q1, some of the things that I'm working on and they don't really care about the nitty gritty details. I was making notes because I don't want to like jerk this conversation, but you mentioned something really interesting, which I want to go down. So I've wanted to talk about specifically, maybe we can shift away from, <laughs> let's talk about marketing. <laughs> you mentioned that you own, you know, it's a lot of top of the funnel and it's email, it's LinkedIn, it's events. Can we talk about that email strategy that you mentioned? I'm trying to figure out what the right email volume is for us. And my hunch was like, oh, we could be sending more email, but we're sending a couple of emails a week and it's okay. I think we could be doing better. Then I hear you saying like, you're only sending two emails a month. How do you think about your email strategy for SparkToro? What's the goal of it? You're only sending two emails a month. Like, what are you crazy? Talk me through that. Yeah, yeah. So we do send more emails in a given month. So we do have an onboarding sequence for everybody who sign ups for the product, whether it's free or paid. So we have this like automated sequence that I think it lasts about three weeks or so. So people will get a product email every couple days. It offers tips, introduces our newsletter, that kind of stuff. So there's that. We also do two email newsletters per month and then probably two emails per month that promote the Office Hours series. And then we might do like one or two other emails in a given month that would promote the product. It might be some kind of nurture campaign to get people to go from free to paid. I guess the way we see it is because I know that we have however amount of automated product emails going out any given time, I just don't like to send more than two emails per week in general. For instance, if I know the newsletter is going out tomorrow, I definitely won't schedule another email that goes out tomorrow. The other thing is we also have a separate email list. There's a little bit of overlap for people who subscribe to our blog. So this is purely just people who signed up to read blog posts or get alerts for blog posts. So our main list is, I think today it's around 60,000 people. The blog list is, I think, is around 12,000 people. The blog list grows very organically. Like we don't do anything to promote it. It's just whoever comes to the blog and decides to sign up, they get it. There's some overlap, not a ton. And last thing I'll say is we're pretty aggressive about removing cold subscribers Mm. from that main list. Yeah, I'd say every three months we go in and like send an email campaign that says like, hey, we really want to make sure that you actually want our emails. 
looks like you haven't opened one of our emails in the past month or the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Click here I to just stay do that because I'm cheap and it saves me lots of money in HubSpot <laughs> also. That, honestly, that too. We're like, <laughs> we're, yeah, because we're kind of like, why are we going to pay this extra money? It's crazy. It's crazy how much money. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so you feel like two emails a week is right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. We just started doing two emails a week. We came up with something called like a snack. It's like a, a marketing tip. And then we have a newsletter. Mm-hmm. The challenge is like we often have other stuff that like we need to promote. Like we need to drive attendance to a webinar mm-hmm. or we need to promote something within the community. And then all of a sudden someone gets three, four messages. And I think for a lot of people, it's not a big deal. But then you always have that one person who's like, you send so many emails. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah. you can unsubscribe. You can. It's okay. But it's something that I think about a lot. And I'm just curious. And I'm trying to figure out like what the right balance is. Like, do we send more emails and be a little bit more transactional and make quick hits? Or do we do like this two emails a month and they're like super well researched? You know, I've seen some of the content that you all put out. And when Amanda writes, Amanda likes to go deep. And I like that strategy. Yeah. I mean, I will say like we never send email to fill a quota. We only send email when we really have something to say. Yeah. And that's something to say. It might be an idea that we think is important and worth sharing. Or it might be like, we really want to promote the product and get people to go from free to paid. That's worth saying, right? So we'll never just be like, ah, we should just send an email. It's been a while. I don't know. Let's put something together. It's always going to be like, we really need to drive more customers or we really need to share this idea or we really need to get out this survey and ask people their thoughts on this thing so that we can create more content. That's great. That's a good frame to think about it. Never send an email to fill a quota, like send an email when we have something to say. That's it also makes it easier to stand behind that email. Like if someone is like, hey, you're sending too many emails, I feel better about that if it was like, ugh, if that kind of just felt yucky, like we need to send that email to fill a quota, that feels different than like, whoa, hold on. No, we we like I really wrote this. Like this is something that I wanted to say. And then how do you figure out, like, is there a cadence for like free to paid or is it just kind of like, oh, we should do a free to paid email or is it like a system that's always going? I think there's a system that's always going. See, I don't even remember. But like, I think there's an automated email that's like, hey, if you paid for this product, here's what you'd get. And then we do a couple of one-off things, but we tie those one-off things to product launches. So like we'll do one when we relaunched into V2. We'll do it again when we launch like new features. So there's always some kind of cadence. It might be like once a quarter that we have like a good product or feature launch that we make sure we promote to our audience. Let's talk about LinkedIn. How would you articulate your strategy for LinkedIn? Is it based on the company page? Is it the three of you posting regularly? What's working for you all on LinkedIn? And I know you're coming out of a, you know, you're four months yeah. post baby. So I'm sure you haven't been going hard on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, that is true. You know, honestly, I've actually used like a framework of something you've said, I think you maybe, maybe you've repeated it, but you've said this, I think it was like three years ago. It was a long time ago that you said this because I remember it. And it was essentially using your company page as like the company newsfeed and then using the employee page or your personal page to amplify it or like to talk about like a personal connection to it. For that, it means like anytime we have a webinar or anytime we have like a new blog post, all of it will get promoted on the company LinkedIn page. I try to pick out a standalone idea so that anybody scrolling through gets that zero click content where they get yeah. like that discreet takeaway. They're like, great, got it. And they can either choose to click or just move on with their day. So everything gets shared there. And then for us, like the, then, then Rand or I will 
repost it with our thoughts, or at the very least, we'll engage with it. But what I like to do is, from my personal page, I like to write my personal connection to a given piece of content, why I'm excited about an upcoming webinar, or like why I wrote a blog post in why I chose a certain topic. The engagement on the company page is pretty good. I just was looking at it. I'm glad that you referenced that because I think it's like, I like to think about it like the news ticker and people, but it's a one-two punch. They have different purposes, right? Like people want to know that the business exists, that content needs to be relevant. You're going to share different things there. You can add a little bit more personality from your personal pages. I see that you all like repost other people, which works really well. You mentioned your thing. So you referenced my thing. I talk about your thing all the time, which is zero click content. And this has become more important than ever because LinkedIn, you can't put a link on LinkedIn and get high engagement. They reduce the reach of a link in a post. The thing that kills me is that they don't just give you a comment. Like if we just pin, I want to be able to pin a comment. They had that Mm -hmm. feature for a while because then you could do something, you could write great content and then be like, hey, here's that link. I could write something about this interview. And then in the comment, I could pin that comment and be like, hey, here's the link to that conversation that I wrote about in this post with Amanda. If I do that in the comments, the comment, it, you know, it goes all over the place. That's one of my biggest frustrations. I don't need that many additional tools from LinkedIn, but just to be able to pin a comment. But your thing with zero click content is genius because it's like you're giving somebody everything in that post without having to click. And it's going to work much better with the way that the algorithm works and it produces better results because it drives more engagement more engagement equals more reach more reach equals more followers and you just kind of like keep this loop going yeah absolutely i didn't really have a question there other than like (laughs) (laughs) it's a good strategy and more people should do it it's hard though because a lot of marketers get stuck on the well hold on how are if i'm trying to drive people to a webinar and i write a post that's like zero click content how are they going to register for the webinar But I feel like you've driven massive results to your content by doing this. Can you talk about that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like when people question it, they take this all or nothing approach where they're like, so how am I going to get people to join my webinar if I never drop a link? Where I'm like, I'm not saying never drop a link. I'm saying give standalone value so that they don't have to click. So with that, it would be like, well, give an insight that you're going to cover on the webinar. Because I feel like I see way too many marketers promote webinars by saying, what are you going to do about your content strategy? Find out in our webinar where you're like, (laughs) I don't know. Anyone could write that. What it should be is like, do this one thing to make sure you have a really solid content strategy. By the way, we're also going to give you four more pieces of advice in our webinar. So join it. So there's that. Like give actual value in the promotion for it. And then also, if you can bake that, if you work really closely with like your blog team or some kind of organic content team, then you can find ways to embed that webinar link into your blog posts. One of our best attended Office Hours series was about audience personas. And it was something where I did a blog post on it first. And then when we decided to turn it into a webinar, I included the webinar signup page on my blog post. And so a bunch of people were going to this blog post over the course of like a couple of weeks. And at the very top, it was like, we're going to cover this in a webinar, sign up here. And we got like hundreds more extra signups for that. I believe at the time we were averaging like 500 or 600 registrants per webinar. But when I did this for this particular webinar, we got almost a thousand signups. So it wasn't even like, 
I sent a bunch of extra emails, totally. right? It was just, I just did this extra thing totally organically, just embedded it in the blog post, didn't even require an additional manual touch point. And it just very naturally drove the extra registrants. You mentioned a really important thing at the beginning of that too, which is um, you can do that, but also if you create value, create value, create value, give away value, give away value, when you do have something to promote and you're like, hey, we're doing this webinar tomorrow, sign up here. <laughs> that actually does work. It drives a ton of registrants, right? Yeah. I, I notice this all the time. If I am promoting too many things on LinkedIn, I feel that I can be a case study of this. Like if I write 10 posts that are like, sign up for our thing, go to this thing, blah, blah, blah. It's not going to work, right? If I just write like good content, good content, good content, good content, and then I'm like, by the way, we're doing a webinar tomorrow, you should sign up, that post will drive hundreds of registrations. That always works. And so I think that's another like very important side benefit of zero click content. Yeah. Okay, we got to wrap up. I could talk to you forever. I wrote a ton of notes. I try to write a ton of notes during this so I can do less work later because we're all about working smarter. Hashtag, we're growth hackers. We're parents, we're growth hackers, we're marketing <laughs> experts, we're LinkedIn thought leaders, we are zero-click content gurus, we are LinkedIn page versus company page personal strategists. Amanda, good to see you. <laughs> good to hang out with you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Everybody that's listening, go follow Amanda on LinkedIn. Send her a message. Tell her it's nice to have her back on the pod and wish her a, a warm welcome back to Spark Toro. Oh, thanks, Dave. It was so fun to be here. So fun to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no chance to get that meeting. This is the silent nightmare for marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. The most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about what that is. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get with Apollo? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5. If you go there right now, their team will set you up with a free account for you and as a thank you for your time, check this out. You're going to get a free annual membership to Exit 5. That's valued at $275 just for checking them out. And the tool is free. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity. And if you are and you want to learn more, go to apollo.io slash E5.